Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Michael, and today we continue our series entitled Abide. Last week we considered how Jesus' love for us presses us into our relationship with God in such a way that we find ourselves experiencing obedience in a greater amount and certainly an increased amount of joy in our life. Well, this week we further press into the reality of Christ's love for us, both as our rescuer, which we have already sung of, and our revealer. And so he'll say to us this morning, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. He'll then remind us that we didn't choose him, but he chose us. What amazing statements about our relationship with the Savior. This kind of intimacy with the Creator, God demands from us a response. And that response, that's what we're going to be challenged by with today, that we might leave this place living it out day by day until we gather again next Sunday. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles, turn with me to John 15. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 this morning. And I trust we're going to do that with eager anticipation of what the Spirit of God will want to say to our hearts. Well, if you found John 15 this morning, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We do that here at First Southern as a way of acknowledging that God is King and that His Word has complete and absolute authority in our lives. John 15, beginning in verse 12. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are indeed grateful for the words of your Son, Jesus Christ. Those words spoken the night before his crucifixion to his closest and dearest friends. Father, we too are called friends of God. We are thankful for that. We are thankful for how Christ has rescued us and made himself and made you known to us. We are thankful for how the Spirit of God illumines the Word of God that we might know you more and more deeply. Oh, Father, may we, may we love you more. And may we live our life as a response of that love in a, in, a, in a more real fashion day by day. Teach us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, one of the key words in our passage this morning is the word love. I remember as a kid, I attached the phrase, I love to many things, right, and many people. I love ice cream. I love when the ice cream truck comes by. I love the ice cream man. Okay, so I did. He was, he was great. I love school. I love math class. I love my math teacher. That's okay unless you're a second grader and it comes from your mind out of your mouth. That's a little more embarrassing. I love football. I love basketball. I love baseball. I love when we win. You remember writing the notes? 
Do you love me? Yes. No. Maybe. Listen, if you weren't sure, you should just put yes and maybe, right? No option for no. For sure, we all are guilty of doing the same. For As adults, we say, I love chocolate cake. I love great coffee. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with using the verb love, even freely at times. But here's what I think it has done for us. The meaning of the word love, in some ways, I think has been cheapened. So we are often left with a hollow understanding when we hear phrases like, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But in John 15 this morning, Jesus corrects our cheapened understanding of love when he instructs us to love one another as he has loved us. Rather than cheapening our understanding of love, he dramatically deepens it as he points rightly to his genuine and his sacrificial love for us, his children. The reality of Jesus' love for us is the focal point of our passage this morning. So that's where I want us to begin. I want us to begin looking at what he says about how he demonstrates his love toward us. We start with the idea that Jesus has revealed himself as a lover of us as he is our rescuer. Jesus the rescuer. The reality of Christ's love is evidenced in how he has indeed rescued us. Look again at verse 12 and verse 13. Jesus says, This is, at my, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus here, in very succinct fashion, tells us that there is no greater demonstration of love than laying down your life for those you love, for a dear, close friend. When I read the whole of the Gospel of John, it's interesting. The first appearance of Jesus that we have in the Gospel comes in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist is already on the scene. John the Baptist is already proclaiming that there is the Messiah who will come. And then he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John introduces Jesus as the Lamb who will be what? Slaughtered. Who will be sacrificed for the salvation of mankind. That's our first introduction in the Gospel of John, is that Jesus is the one who will lay down His life that you and I might have eternal life. That's what He says in John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, He initiated He so loved the world that He sent His only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. It's the laying down of his life that provides salvation for those who believe. John 10 becomes a pinnacle point in in the Gospel of John. It points toward Jesus as the good shepherd. One writer says this, What makes Jesus the good shepherd is his willingness to sacrifice his life for the well-being, for the safety, for the securing of the sheep. Five times in John 10, it is stated that the shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. Undergirding John 10 and that image of Christ as the, as the suffering, righteous, good shepherd is Ezekiel 34. The shepherds of Israel, they were not caring for the individuals. They were not caring for the nation. They were not leading and teaching and ministering to the people well. And, and God makes it clear. I'm against you, shepherds. And then he says, I will rescue my sheep. I will undo all the harm that has been done to you. And so in Ezekiel 34, we have this beautiful image of God as the rescuing shepherd, loving shepherd of his people. Isaiah 53 also undergirds that image in John 10 of the Jesus as the suffering righteous shepherd. Listen to these words. Isaiah prophesies, chapter 53, verse 5. But he, speaking of Jesus, who would be, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was laid the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like Sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the transgressions of us all. So when we consider the cross this morning, we should consider the role of the suffering righteous shepherd. That is Jesus who laid down his life and, and gave up himself to pay for our very sins. We so often sing of the cross in this place. I love it. There are those who would say that you should not sing of the blood in a worship service. I'm thinking, why are you having a worship service, right? If we can't sing of the cross, if we can't sing of the wounds on the hands and the pierced side, the sacrifice that atoned, the lamb that was slaughtered in Jerusalem for our salvation, why would we gather in this place? That is what gives us relationship with the Father. It's what gives us relationship with one another. But when we think of Christ's death on the cross, we often think of it as, rightly so, deity displaying divine and eternal love toward us. And that's right. That's what we've sung of this morning. But think of the context of this passage that we've read this morning. Again, let me remind you, it's the night before Christ crucifixion. They have celebrated a last meal together. We, we celebrate it today as communion. He has prophesied and spoken of the fact that he will soon die. And that in his stead he will send the Spirit who will lead them, guide them, convict them of sin and righteousness, lead them into all truth. That he is going away to prepare a place for them and he will come again and gather them that they too may be with him and then he says, let us leave from this place. And they make their way toward the, toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And they seemingly perhaps stop in the middle of a vineyard. And he begins to teach them what it means to abide and remain in Christ. And that's what we've been studying the last few weeks together. And in the midst of that, in the darkness of the night, in the middle of a vineyard, <laughs> he says this. He says, there's no greater love than that a friend would lay down his life for another friend. That, that, dear friends, is the greatest 
demonstration of love that could possibly be placed in front of anyone on planet earth that we would sacrifice for another. And so not only was the divine displaying eternal love, (laughs) the man, Christ Jesus, was making a commitment to display his love in in less than 24 hours to display his love for his earthly friends by being nailed to a cross. It feels jarring when we think about that. But it provides for us, church, a a better understanding of what it means to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. Jesus is our rescuer. We love people who rescue, right? Our superheroes. Any shout-outs? Come on, some of you watch that stuff. We love, to, we love to support our heroes and our rescuers. We, we love to, to champion our first responders, our medics, our firemen, our policemen, and policewomen who serve amongst us to keep us safe and to take care of us in the moment. We have those images even of 9-11 where you just see hundreds and hundreds of first responders doing what? Rushing. Rushing into burning buildings with ash falling all around them. Why? To rescue. If they could just rescue one man, one woman, one boy, one girl, it was worth the risk. Some of us have perhaps been in situations where we needed a rescuer to come. I remember as a 15-year-old, I'm in the car with my mom in her Mustang. Cool car. I'm a 15-year-old learning to drive. I'm making my way past the mall. She's in the driver's seat, and I'm, I'm driving. I'm obeying all the laws going the right speed limit, I promise. And a man comes flying over the bridge 70 miles an hour and hits us head on. I had no idea what happened after that. I know we spun. I know we ended up toward the side of the road. The first image, I looked and I saw my mom sitting there. I wanted to make sure she was okay. There was some blood. Her knee is literally eight inches into the dashboard. But I'm thankful she's alive. I'm hurting. There's no way to get out the doors. They're all crushed in. And we had to wait in that can, that tin can, for what? The rescuers. To come and take the jaws of life and crack the door open. I remember laying there, literally on my back, as the paramedics did their deal, thinking, I'm so glad I've been rescued. Listen, all the rescuers, all the first responders, all the heroes and superheroes that we watch and we're captivated by, they're just mere shadows of the real thing. Jesus Christ, church, He is our rescuer. Amen? 
And He has rescued us from the darkness, the domain of darkness, and He has brought us in to light. He has rescued us from death, and He has given us eternal life. That, my friends, is what Jesus meant when He said, Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friend. Christ has done that for us. If you know Jesus as Savior, then you, you have been rescued by Him. If you have not been rescued, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Call out to Him. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. I believe that death on the cross paid my sin debt. Jesus, I'm asking you, come, take residence in my life. Forgive me of my sin and save me a place in heaven with you for eternity. You say, Michael, is it that easy? Yeah, it's not the words you pray. It's the belief of your heart. Believe and you shall be saved. Paul writes to the church at Rome. So I'm begging you today, if you've not been rescued from the domain of darkness, you're still in the bondage of sin. Today, cry out to Christ. Be saved and experience the overwhelming, lavish love of Christ this morning. As we consider verses 12 and 13, minimally, minimally, we should be asking ourselves, if we, are, if we have a willing disposition to sacrifice for others. Because Jesus says what? You are to love. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we are to love others as Christ has loved us. Do we have a willing disposition toward sacrifice for those whom we care about? What would it look like in your marriage for you to have a willing disposition of sacrifice and suffering to meet the needs of your spouse? What would it look like in your relationship, moms and dads, grandparents with your children and grandchildren? Children, what would it look like? And I mean adult children too. What would it look like for you to be willingly sacrificial in relationship to your parents? What about in your friendships? What about in this church body? For us to willingly sacrifice to meet the needs of one another in the body of Christ. Jesus is our ultimate example of love. And that's what he points toward. Jesus is not only our rescuer, the reality of Christ's love is also evidenced in the fact that He is our revealer. He has revealed both Himself and the Father to us. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Literally that word is slave. I I no longer call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing but I have called you friends. Why? For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Could you just soak that up for a minute? (laughs) That's an amazing statement. All that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. You're privy to it. Here we better understand Jesus is the one who makes Himself and the Father known to us. When we think about God revealing Himself to mankind, we should immediately think about the created order. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. 
Just the cosmos, the creation. Matter of fact, Paul writes again to the church at Rome, he says, we are without excuse. Man is without excuse. All you have to do is look at creation and you know that there is a creator God. And so creation reveals who Christ is, who the Spirit is, who the Father is for us. We don't get out of John chapter 1, the first 14 verses speak to the fact that in the beginning the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. That's John is talking about the incarnation of Christ. The greatest revelation of God that we have on ever, ever, ever as humans is Christ coming in flesh and blood. Oh, how I wished I was in His presence. I wished I had walked during the days He was on the earth. Oh, but there's coming a day. He'll walk the earth again. It'll be a new earth. And you and I who know Christ, we, we will know Christ fully. Paul longed to know God in a deeper, more real way. We too long for that. So we look to creation. We, we look to the incarnation of Christ. We look to the Scriptures. They point toward who Christ is. And they point toward the Father's love of us. We point toward, not only in John 14 and John 16, we point toward the indwelling Spirit of God who indeed leads us in all truth and brings to our remembrance all that God has taught us. Jesus is not only our rescuer, church, He is also our revealer. He reveals, makes Himself, makes God known to us. That's what He is saying here. He says, listen, He says, I... I have called you my friend. Because all that I've heard from the Father, I have made known. I have revealed to you. Think about that. Who all in Scripture was called friend of God? In the Old Testament, Moses is called friend of God. In the Old Testament, Abraham is called a friend of God. In the New Testament, it seems Lazarus is called a friend of Christ. Oh, but here in John 15, something terrific happens. That, that nomenclature, that, that being called out as a friend of God is expanded. And Jesus now says, no longer do I call you slaves. That is, one who has no knowledge, no access, no privy to what the Master is doing. No, no, I call you friends. Because I've made known to you the plans of God. There's a marked change in salvation history. Christ has come. God in flesh has dwelt among us. And He is making God the Father's plans known to His closest friends and followers. So He says, listen, I call you friend. The distinguishing mark in the relationship between Christ and man is the revelation of Himself. How incredible is it, church, that God has made Himself known to sinful men and women, boys and girls like us. That's a big deal, right? Please tell me amen. That is a huge deal. And God's made Himself known to us. That's the distinguishing mark. We move from being slaves to friends. 
Think about it. With our closest friends, we share our thinking, we share our plans, we share our motives. Friends have increased access to us. They possess increased confidence. They possess increased trust in us. They desire to participate in life's adventures with us. That's what friends do. They share themselves with one another. I remember in October of 1993, I know that predates some of you, my best friend, Bo, had gone out of town. It wasn't just an out-of-town trip. It was, it was his uh, honeymoon. And he was gone for two weeks. And we always went to class seminary together. And, and so we weren't riding together that day. And I'd been thinking, I had an idea in my mind that I wanted to see mine and Ginger's friendship and even dating relationship change. That Monday that Bo was out of town, shh, I skipped class. I'm not supposed to tell you all that. It's bad. But I was consumed. I had this thing in my mind. I couldn't get it out. I was consumed with, with certainty and confidence that I needed to go look at engagement rings. Sure enough, that's the way I spent my afternoon. Sure enough, I left having purchased an engagement ring that very day. And then, for weeks, I sat on it. Not literally, I put it in the drawer. Because for me, marriage was a one-time deal, and I had to know for no, for no, for sure, for sure, for sure. And so when Bo got back in town, I talked to my parents, I talked to Bo, I talked to my siblings, I talked to God. Because I wanted to know what they thought. I wanted to share my deepest thoughts and, and my directions and my ideas for my future with my friends and my family. But more than that, I wanted to know God's plans for what He had in future for me. And sure enough, there was confirmation all around, more importantly from the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit and the Word of God, that this was my bride-to-be. Praise be to the Lord. No, November 17th at 10 p.m., she said, Yes. And I'm grateful for that. That's what friends do. They open the door and they make known their ideas, their thoughts, their feelings. And that's what Christ says. Listen, I don't call you slave. I, I call you friend because I've made known to you the plans of the Father. So what does this mean for us who are called friends of God? For us, it, it means that we, we learn to obey and follow Christ more fully because we can trust Him more as our understanding of His heart, His love, His motives become more certain to us. At the end of the day, the more I fully understand the Master's heart, the more I desire to fully follow Him in all things. So Jesus has demonstrated his love toward us, his children, in his rescue of us, in his revelation of himself and the Father. So we come to the point in our passage, in our message this morning, we have to ask the question, so what then is our response to so great a rescue and so great a revelation? Here it is, fourfold. We respond by obeying Christ. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. 
Let me be careful how we read that, right? You're my friend's capital I-F. Conditional. You'll be my friend if, right? You can be on my team if. You'll be my best friend if. That's kind of how human relationships work, do they not? That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's actually saying this. Obedience is not what gains us right relation or gains us relationship with God. Our relationship with God is because God has initiated our rescue. He has first loved us and He has pointed that in our direction. And we have, by God's grace, responded to that love and loved Him back. We're in relationship because of God's love toward us. But what Jesus is saying here is this. Listen, our obedience evidences our relationship to Him. If, if we know Christ as Savior, <laughs> we're going to obey Him. It's that simple. It's that simple. He says, listen, he says, he says, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. you your obedience displays the friendship. It evidences your friendship. My friendship with you. So we respond by obeying Christ. We respond by loving others. Verse 12 and verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Listen, I fear we overcomplicate the moral and ethical implications of the Christian faith. Right? We, we make it really complicated. The Scriptures, Jesus, sums it up. He's asked, what, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? He says, love the Lord your God. He says, the second is like the first, love one another. Think about that. Jesus sums up the entirety of the Scriptures with love God, love others. Christianity is not all that complicated. God has loved us. And demonstrated that through sacrifice. We are then to love Him, and we are to reciprocate that love and be a channel of that love by loving one another sacrificially. We respond to Christ as rescuer and revealer by loving others. Here's what I think Jesus is teaching us. Genuine love for the Father ensures genuine love for the Son, which ensures obedience to both the Father and the Son. Then he indicates that obedience will be most readily tested. (laughs) Let me back up. So he tells us, listen, he says, he says, this commandment I give to you, love one another. Let me explain to you what that love looks like. It's It's a sacrificial Love, and he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And he tells us that the greatest testing of us being obedient, right, us loving him, is how we love one another. Is that not the hardest test of Christianity? Think about it. Where do you stumble and where do you sin the most? Well, we could provide an opportunity for testimony of confession right here. But my guess is, most of us, our sin would point back toward an offense against another brother or sister or another person. 
most often we sin in relationship to other people. Our thoughts about them, our emotions toward them, our actions, our words, our deeds against them. Man, Christianity would be alright and pretty easy if we didn't have human conflict all the time, wouldn't it? Be easy to love God and love others if it weren't for all the people. And so, Jesus says, listen, this is where where your obedience, this is where your love for me is going to get most readily tested. It's by how well you love one another. John talks about this more in his letters. In 1 John 4, briefly, he says, We love because he has first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, what? Must also love his brother. It is that simple, church. Christianity is some love God, love others. Not only do we respond with obedience and love, we respond by living a life focused on both mission and a mission rooted in prayer. Look at these last two pieces. We respond by living life on mission. Verse 16, you didn't choose me. Oh my, God chose us. In eternity past, he lavished his covenantal love upon us. He chose those disciples in eternity past that they might come to know him. And then he came to them and he said, you, you follow me. That's exactly what Christ did with us. He, he loved us in eternity past. And then he came to us and he said, you, you follow me. You trust me. And guess what? He says this. He says, you didn't choose me. Unless they get haughty thinking, I am a friend of God. Or God is saying that, that, that I am his friend. He's calling me friend. Unless I get a big head, <laughs> he says, you didn't choose me. I, I chose you. Why? That you should go and you should bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. I love verse 16 because Jesus has just finished calling disciples his friends. He's reminding them of how he is letting them in on the Father's plans. When he feels the necessity to clarify, it's he who chose them, not the other way around. Unless the disciples, as I said, get a big head and a prideful heart about their relationship with God, they're reminded that it is God who first loved them in eternity past. It is God the Father who sent the Son to rescue them through the death on the cross. Jesus is making clear that the relationship that we are now enjoying is totally, church, a result of God's favor toward us. But then Jesus goes on to say there was a purpose in his choosing. The purpose is included in the disciples going out and bearing fruit that remains. The last words that Jesus gives to the disciples before his ascension to heaven, go therefore and what? Make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And I I will be with you always to the end of the age. That church is called the Great Commission. And that is what Christ has redeemed us to be about. He has rescued us that we too might go and be conduits of rescue for the lost and dying world around us. We have neighbors, we have friends, we have family members, we have schoolmates, ball team uh, members. All of these people who are without Christ. We've been rescued that we too might go throw a line of redemption. Tell the story of the gospel to those individuals. Jesus says, listen, I've chosen you that you might go 
and you might bear fruit, and that fruit's going to last. It's converts he's talking about here, that those might be rescued and saved. Again, lest we think the fulfillment of this mission is dependent upon us alone, Jesus reminds us that if we ask the Father in accordance with his will, guess what? He will do it. Amazing. God will answer our prayers. The fulfillment of mission is, is rooted in a life of prayer. God, would you save Would you save that lost friend? Would you save my lost child? Would you save my lost parent? Would you save my lost co-worker, my schoolmate? Verse 16, we respond by praying. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Christ is rescuer. Christ is revealer. And we live, we are to live, church, every moment of our life in response to Christ's love for us. What will that look like for you? I trust minimally it will mean obeying Christ more ardently. I trust minimally it will mean loving others more deeply as Christ has loved you. I trust minimally it will mean living life with greater intentionality, that we might be on mission, that we too might be a conduit of rescue for those who are lost and dying, and that none of it, none of it will be attempted in our own power or strength. But we will find ourselves on our knees, on our faces, praying. In order that every day we would live every moment of our lives in response to Christ's love for us. Love others, he says, as I have loved you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good word you've given to us this morning through, through Christ, through the Spirit, through John listening and recording what you rightly wanted us to know. Father, for that we are indeed grateful. I pray, Father, for those who don't know Christ this morning today that they, they would confess Christ, they would believe and be saved, and that they would make public their faith and trust in you. Father, they would be bold and not be ashamed of the gospel, but they would want to tell this church that this church, too, might celebrate with them. Father, for us who have been believers for quite a long time, I pray that we would leave this place not getting over, (laughs) being refreshed in the love you have for us, and that in response to your rescue and your love, we would live every moment, every moment, in light of that. Do your work in our midst, we pray this morning. In Christ's name. Amen.